hands were once used for battle. Now they're but humble tools for peace. I need to figure out exactly who I am. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Luggedall Podcast. This I'm is your host, Elias Roush. This podcast is sponsored by EliasRoushMedia.com. Photo, video, digital media production. Today we are discussing the kind of polarizing um, new Mar- Marvel film, Thor, Love and Thunder, directed by Taika Waititi. Thor Love and Thunder is a 2022 American superhero film based on the Marvel comics featuring the character Thor, produced by Marvel Studios and distributed by Walt Disney Studios Motion Pictures. It is the sequel to Thor Ragnarok, the uh, kind of heavy metal 80s themed uh, kind of a reboot of the character of Thor. Um, also directed by Taika Waititi and was one of my favorite movies of the year um, of 2017, but is also one of my favorite movies of uh, the MCU as well, just from the stylistic flair, the originality, the, the, the tonal shifts between it being an action comedy, but also having some dramatic beats sprinkled in there. But overall, I thought it worked really well. Um, so Thor Love and Thunder is the sequel to Thor Ragnarok and uh, and the 29th uh, and is the 29th film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the MCU. The film is directed by Taika Waititi, who wrote uh, who co-wrote the script with Jennifer Caton Robinson um, and stars Chris Hemsworth as Thor alongside Christian Bale, Tessa Thompson, Jamie Alexander, Waititi uh russell crowe and natalie portman in the film thor attempts to find inner peace but must return to action and recruit valkyrie who's played by tessa thompson um korg who's voiced by watiti and jane foster who um is i i guess now i'm gonna say it's on the poster so it's not really uh a spoiler but um Jane Foster comes back, who is now the mighty Thor, um, to stop Gore, the god butcher, played by Bale, from um, eliminating uh, the gods. And so uh, I do want to kind of get some things off my chest before we get into this a little bit more uh, nitty gritty. Um, Yes, I've seen the first Thor. I have not seen the polarizing or kind of downright shat on uh, Thor The Dark World, which was the second movie um, featuring uh, uh, Chris Hemsworth as well and Jane Foster returning. And um, from what I hear, it's just flat out boring and doesn't really move the plot too much with the exception of the small uh, scenes that we see in the Avengers, I think Infinity War or Endgame, where they go back and have to steal uh, a time stone or one of the uh, Infinity Stones from Jane Foster, I believe, or somebody. Um, my my brain's a little bit jumbled with what the details were, or why that we had to go back there. But anyways, um, just was saying that uh, Thor is uh, a fun character after the the Shakespearean take they had in the first 
Thor, and I believe the second one kind of went on that same route. But there was also uh, the whole Loki of it all, you know, played by uh, Tom Hiddleston, who was um, who plays his brother in the movie. And he has a very he's nefarious and quippy in all the ways that we love our uh, villains to be. So we don't have that Tom Hiddleston energy in this. We have a little bit more different energy than what we we've had um, more of the, the comedic realm of uh, the Ragnarok style. It is marketed like it's going to be kind of like this um, he man ultra ultra masculine kind of rock out kind of uh, film, but I kind of don't really feel like that's what this movie turned out to be. This movie kind of is trying to sell that through all the marketing and the posters and the, and you know, the, the guns and roses soundtrack of it all, which is playing constantly throughout the, um, the film. But uh, you know, with saying that, I think that it's more or less uh it's not quite a gimmick, but it's way the eighties the theme is way more of a facade than it is um, an actual influence of the movie in comparison to the Ragnarok uh, film. So um, Hemsworth and Watiti had uh, Taika Watiti had discussed plans for a sequel to Ragnarok by January, 2018. Love and Thunder was announced in July 2019, and Hemsworth, Waititi, and Thompson were all set to return, as well as Portman, who did not appear in Ragnarok. Um, uh, Taika Waititi wanted to differentiate Love and Thunder from Ragnarok, seeing to make a romance film and 1980s-inspired adventure. Now, my, there's, there's blends of that, but I don't think that cohesively that's not what this movie is. He adapted elements from Jason Aaron's run on the Mighty Thor comic, which sees Jane Foster take on the mantle and powers of Thor, what's suffering from uh, a disease. I don't want to say what uh, what it is yet until we get to the spoilers. Um, Robinson continued to contribute to the script in February 2020, and further casting was revealed later uh, later that year, including the appearance of Guardians of the Galaxy, like we, as we've seen, um, how the end of Endgame was resulting, and how all of these movies have been kind of spinning off into their own storylines. While Thor ran off with um, the Guardians of the Galaxy, so they kind of have to do something about, you know, addressing where he's been, what they've been doing, and so uh, production was expected to begin in late 2020, but was delayed by the COVID-19 pandemic. Filming ultimately began in January 2021 in Sydney, Australia, and concluded at the beginning of June. Thor Love and Thunder premiered at the El Capitan Theater in Hollywood on June 23rd, 2022, and was released in the United States on July 8th as part of Phase 4 of the MCU. Um, the film received praise from the critics for its lighthearted nature and the cast performances, which both uh, both of those generally fall within the MCU blend of having, you know, some of the best casting um, in most franchises that they've had. This is no different, considering Thor is 
and these characters are from kind of the old MCU, the OGs, the Iron Man, the Captain Americas, the uh, the Hulks of it all. You know, he's from the 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 first round of Avengers, and so yeah, the lighthearted nature, the performances, but on the other hand, the screenplay and tonal inconsistencies um, received criticism. Thor Love and Thunder has grossed $329 million worldwide, becoming the 10th highest grossing film of 2022 and probably going to make its way up the charts as well. It is uh, brought, the cinematographer is Barry Iodine. I went back and looked and he is a cinematographer on the Mandalorian series starting all the way back from, I think, the first season and then coming back for the second season as well. Um, there was some good stuff using the uh, the fancy... I know that they have, like, special uh, green screen uh, that they use for Star Wars, and they also have uh, the same type of green screen technology for the MCU as well. So there's some good, some not so good. Sometimes you can just blatantly tell they're standing in front of a green screen of some sort, you know? So this made, so far it's made 329 million worldwide on a budget of $250 million, um, which is pretty sizable, I'll be honest. That's a, that's, that's a chunky movie. But I have heard that there is a large section of this movie that is on the cutting room floor. So I am curious what the original cut of this was, considering the, <clears throat> the villain does not feel all that villainous. Most, oh, let, me, let me retract that. Christian Bale does an amazing job at just about any performance he's given. Gore the God Butcher is no different, and I hear that the comics are a lot more um, ironically gory or more violent than um, what we received in the movie. As a matter of fact, through the movie, he's only in a handful of scenes, and I don't think his true villainous potential is really shown um, in this film, or if it was, then it was cut on the, um, the cutting room floor. I do feel like there's probably another cut of this movie that blends this blends these two tones a little bit better because ultimately this movie is supposed to be kind of a romantic comedy, but it's wrapped in this uh, uh, action comedy that's just way overbearing in it. And they're still trying to juggle some really um, uh, heavy plot lines um, within this film like the the storylines are really serious but they might undercut it with a joke here and there and it's not just here and there it's almost every time we're on to the next scene right after we have a dramatic scene we're cutting right to a joke so i can definitely see how people have uh issues with uh the the tonal the tonal shifts in this and it's just not blending very smoothly um with a running time of 120 minutes, that's just about two hours, um, it is it it is kind of obvious that they're trying to hit that two-hour mark. However, I believe this is one of the few times that I would say that we need 
more time both on uh, the supporting cast characters as well as the antagonist characters to kind of give them a better backstory about what we should be expecting and understanding and giving them pathos and ethos and and basically understanding the motivations of these characters so let me go through my notes real quick about this movie this movie has um entertaining action and that's that's no different than the ragnarok of it all i do feel like the ragnarok um the blocking and the and the way that the cinematography um, encapsulated the action. It felt very operatic and Shakespearean and, and kind of godlike and almost a little bit more like, uh, I don't want to say evoke the name because everyone's going to get me for it, but a little bit more like Zack Snydery in the way that they're positioning the the panels of the comic books and and of how they, they position the characters like comic books. Um, Ragnarok felt like you could take frames of that film and put it on your wall and it would look it would look amazing. I didn't feel that with Thor Love and Thunder. I kind of felt like it was a little bit more saying it's thrown together sounds like it's it's lazy. There's nothing about this probably thousands of people have worked on this film. There's nothing about this that is considerably lazy. It's just the discombobulation of different parts trying to fit on the screen all at one time. So many different colors. Um, it, it, I like my, I like it to feel kind of symmetrical. I know that's not exactly what, what you're going to get with all films, but I do feel like the, the symmetricality of the way that the, the action was shot in Ragnarok was so much more interesting and eye-capturing than most um, than than most MCU movies. Like the the Ragnarok itself was, it just hit such a high bar of wow. The 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 music cues always coming in, then ding digga ding ga ding digga ding. Like it, it felt like it had pacing that came into the the different types of uh, music that was coming in and yeah. You know, like I felt like we were doing Guns N' Roses um, click play every couple scenes and it was just like, all right, it's a fight scene. So play Guns N' Roses or something like that. Like I didn't I didn't feel the the pacing and the fun like they normally have with the other MCU movies that are kind of music music based with like Guardians of the Galaxy or I hear a lot of people um, reviewers comparing this movie to guardians of the galaxy 2 where it's kind of a little bit of a jumbled mess but it still has that kind of splashy uh over uh, saturated uh screen but i i do got to say there are some really uh interesting pieces of I know I'm going to kind of go back on what I said that the cinematography wasn't up to snuff, that it wasn't symmetrical enough for me. But I, I do got to say that there are bits and pieces of scenes of uh, like Gore the God Butcher having Christian Bale, you know, pointing or something like that, or um, almost anything, any scene with Natalie Portman, I felt like worked really well when she's in the Mighty Thor outfit and everything. She, she looks the part and it, it's amazing. Um, how you know 
ripped and big and amazing she looks. And then she still looks like she's got this glow on the top with her hair kind of coming out and everything. I was like, Jesus, I want to see about four movies with her. Okay. So, um, we'll talk about that a little bit more into the spoiler section, but yeah. So like I said, the action is on par. It's not the most revolutionary action you've seen, but it's entertaining for Marvel. Um, the casting it's the casting's always really well there's it's really hard to find for me uh casting in the mcu that i'm like um you know they're not bringing it it's normally on the script side that they just haven't if there if there is someone that's not bringing it in the mcu normally it's the script is not as underserving them but just about even from movies to tv i think both sides um you get really good casting for the mcu so let's get into the cons i know i've kind of been jumbling back and forth but i've also been trying to talk in a non-spoiler sense we're going to get into the spoilers here very soon so here are the uh cons and uh the non-spoiler section like everyone has said tonally it's all over the place and i have seen this across the board from from twitter from youtube from uh my friends i've i've kind of been checking around to see what everyone's thinking and i do think that um you know tonally it is all over the place there's a lot going on and there's not enough time to develop some of the more serious plot aspects of this film uh let me see uh, yeah which goes into uh, the mighty thor and the gore plot lines are underdeveloped um some of the uh, the drama over some of the drama in the film is overshadowed by the comedy that almost instantly happens. And, and I got to say that I, I like Taika Waititi's uh, general sense of uh, comedy. Normally his, his comedy is not quite as situational as what I call it, but um, you know, I've been following him for a few years as a, as a director. I really in, Jojo Rabbit was on my top 10 of 2019 that year. Uh, Thor Ragnarok 2017, one of my favorites of that year. And he didn't, apparently he didn't write Thor Ragnarok though. I didn't realize that. That was written by Eric Pearson, Craig Kyle and Christopher L. Yoist. Um, I didn't realize Taika Waititi didn't write uh, Ragnarok, but anyways, I really enjoyed uh, the year before that with YTT's Hunt for the Wilder People. He wrote, directed, and produced that. And a lot of people have talked about what we do in the shadows with Jermaine uh, Clement. And I think that has a television show now. And uh, I haven't seen the 2010s Boy, and I have not seen the uh, Eagle versus Shark. Um, but a lot of, you know, YTT heads have been following them for quite a long time since televisions uh 07 through 09's flight of the concord i haven't seen super city the i've heard a little bit about the in-betweeners but never I haven't heard about wellington paranormal and like i said what we do in the shadows in 2019 uh he's directed some of the mandalorian on television reservoir dogs 2021 i'm not sure whether he was a writer on that 
and Our Flag Means Death. He was a director on that as well. Uh, he's done a couple of shorts as well, as well as his extensive acting career. I'm not going to go through everything, but he was in anything from uh, some of the, a lot of the things I just mentioned uh, above in the television and film realm. He's out also acted in. He was in the uh, the Green Lantern. Uh, so he was in uh, Thor Ragnarok's Korg again, and Korg's coming back in this movie. We also have uh, he, you know, he he has. Uh, pretty an ex extensive uh yeah he has a pretty extensive acting career even though he's acted directed he's done a whole bunch of stuff he's he was in this year's uh or last uh, last year he was in a uh, suicide squad free guide uh deadpool so that was a short promotional but um light year this year and then of course thor love and thunder so the dude is getting paid you know, back side, back front and back of the camera. So, um, let me see. All right, everyone. So, um, this is the part where we are going to drop everybody off. That is a non Patreon member or, um, Anyone that's not supporting the Luggedal podcast on certain platforms. But, anyways, you can go to luggedalpodcast.com for the full review. You're going to get a, a condensed review on YouTube, SoundCloud, and all the other public podcasting platforms for the full review. You'll get it on patreon.com slash luggedal podcast, where we're going to go into the full extensive review of uh, Thor, Love and Thunder. Um, but, anyways, I'd give this film. A six out of ten, and I've been slowly watching. Uh, I've been slowly watching Thor: Love and Thunder kind of falling down in the charts as more people have seen it. I know that there's a strong fan base of saying um, there was a lot of people that really enjoyed this film, and so that's why I felt bad walking out thinking that I was like I didn't really love this film, and I'm not sure if everyone or if a large chunk of people are feeling that way, that way about it as I am, um, considering it has uh, 12 times you can watch it at my local theater, it's going to kill in the box office. But right now it's sitting at a 6.9 out of 10 um, on IMDb and a 67% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I think the Metacritic score is a little higher. The Metacritic score is 80%. And I did hear that I think this movie got a B cinema score, which is kind of rare for uh, Marvel movies. Mostly Bs are not that, not that applicable for Marvel movies. Most of the time that, you know, that's kind of a navigator of how much the uh, viewer enjoyed watching the film or how much the average audience enjoyed watching the film. And B is not that great, but I think that this is, this is the second or third movie from the um, phase four of the MCU that people were not too crazy about. Um, people are, you know, there's a lot of MCU content coming down the pipe, considering we have television just about every couple of weeks. We have movies, despite, you know, the COVID of it all. Um, generally coming out every couple months and we could say that Kevin Feige and now that he's working in um, 
Star Wars, he's got his hands in Star Wars, that he might be stretched a little thin. And so I think it's very important that everyone is, uh, you know, running on all cylinders at the same time. Michael Giacchino, I, I just saw him in a, he was, wasn't he the uh, composer for Doctor Strange as well and No Way Home? Yeah. And the Batman. Jeez, geez, Louise, this guy's getting paid. Planet of the Apes, Zootopia, Rogue One, Star Wars Story, uh, War for the Planet of the Apes, Bad Times of Royale, Spider-Man, No Way Home, The Batman, Thor, Love and Thunder. Jeez, Louise, this dude's getting fucking paid. I know I've gone over his stuff before, but I was, uh, that, that's impressive. Um, so, yeah. Oh, I did want to go over uh, Chris Hemsworth real quick. Um Chris Hemsworth, 38. Did anyone know that he was 38 years old? The dude is young. He started playing, he started his filmography as George Kirk and as sort of like a small cameo in Star Trek in 09. He was younger than I am now. I'm 28. He was under 25. Uh, and then he went on to do Perfect Getaway. I think that was kind of like a, a, horror, a horror thriller. Then in two, uh, two, 2011, he plays Thor two years after he's in Star Trek as a small, um, you know, small uh, film, sorry, as a small role in Star Trek. And then he just instantly blows up as Thor in 2011. And then in 2012, not three years after his film debut, he is in Cabin of the Woods, The Avengers, Snow White and the Huntsman and Red Dawn and 2012 really begins Chris Hemsworth as the uh, superstar as we know him today, because showing that he can, he can blend himself in dramatic roles. He can be the lead in an action MCU movie. He can play in thriller sci-fi he is in uh, Red Dawn. That's kind of like action drama. Um, and I believe that's a remake as well. He was in Rush in the very next year, Star Trek, Into Darkness, Rush, and then Thor the Dark World. Obviously, Thor the Dark World is not, you know, the biggest thing. But all three of these movies have uh, budgets of om Rush is $38 million. So let's just round it up to $40 million. But almost all of his Jeez, got that dang emergency alert coming out of nowhere. Sorry. Almost all of Chris Hemsworth's um, films have almost $100 million budgets. Like, it's very low to have a low-budget Chris Hemsworth-led film. And um, I'm just like, dude, this guy is getting paid. I was so surprised. So starting from 2012, he's, he's in all of those movies. 2013, Star Trek, Rush um thor dark world uh skips 2014 there's nothing for 2014 but 2015 he's in black hat that that's a uh, dr drama thriller um age of ultron uh he's in a comedy vacation in the heart of the sea another drama like i'm looking at these and i'm so super i'm just like almost every year he has a major franchise coming out with him either playing thor or he's playing um, in, in some sort of 
major uh, franchise. The year after that, 2016, The Huntsman, he's in Ghostbusters, uh, and then he plays Thor in two different uh, Team Thor and then in Doctor Strange. It's a cameo scene. Um, 2017, he's in Thor Ragnarok, and I think in a short film for Thor. 2018, 12 Strong. He's in, that's another, uh, the action films, um, Avengers Infinity War, one of the biggest movies of all time. And then Bad Times of El Royale drama. Um, 2019, Avengers Endgame, Men in Black, Jay and Silent Bob as a, in a, as a cameo. So he's in two comedies and an action uh, family, family film um relatively i guess whatever you want to consider one of the big the, the one of the biggest movies of all time if not the biggest 2020 extraction um uh that was a it was an entertaining action flick right before the the big uh covid19 popped off 2022 so he didn't have anything in 2021 but in 2022 he has interceptor spiderhead Thor Love and Thunder. Now, I didn't love Thor. Uh, sorry, I didn't love. Well, I didn't love Thor Love and Thunder, but I didn't love Spiderhead, but I enjoyed the hell out of watching it. And um, like it's it's an entertaining film. And I don't think that it's it's uh, like a waste of time. It's on Netflix. It's streaming. It's all that good stuff. We'll talk about it maybe another time. But it it gives Chris Hemsworth something to do. And just looking at his filmography from, you know, having like a comedy, a drama, a thriller for almost seven, eight years, back to back to back to back to back. It is impressive. The dude works. He gets paid. I think it was at 2014. He's highest, one of the highest paid um, actors of, of um, highest paid actors on Forbes or whatever. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to go through that of uh, Chris Hemsworth is just he's impressive as hell and he's not even 40 yet he's 38 so i, I just like whoa <laughs> the dude's impressive so enough uh dick sucking of uh, <laughs> uh chris hemsworth's ego um but we don't really have to go through the rest of the uh the cast everyone knows christian bale from everything from the machinist to batman to uh you know american psycho all that good stuff uh tessa thompson and she's returning um side by side with from uh what was it men in black that was kind of a terrible movie she's also in um westworld as well but she's never she's not the bad parts of any movie that she's in she's always really she's glowing and she she plays her part very well jamie alexander she was in door of the dark world and she's been in the mcu universe uh, for a while and she debuted on kyle xy one of my favorite young adult television shows back in the day um and then uh russell crowe everyone knows him he's kind of playing like the anti-gladiator in this and we'll talk a little bit more about him and natalie portman we know her all the way back from as early as um uh, we got Black Swan, V for Vendetta, the Leon, the professional, all, you know, Star Wars. She's in, she's in everything. And she's also one of my uh, crushes on Hollywood as well. She's gorgeous. Um, so yeah, let me see if there's anything else. We, I just kind of wanted to do a, a little roundup of Chris Hemsworth 
um, career. Because when I was reading it, I was like, the dude started out. And I mean, I, I know that he had some television roles um, when he was younger, but for the most part, the guy has been been highly successful in the past, like uh, like twelve years. So uh, let's hop into the spoiler section for Thor: Love and Thunder. And again, you can watch this on YouTube. You can listen to this on SoundCloud or any of your favorite podcast providers. And um, here we go. Let me get a little bit of coffee before we start. Okay. So to go along a little bit with uh, a couple of the reasons that I think that there were probably a lot of uh, cut scenes on uh, the cutting room floor is I think it was Peter Dinklage, Lena Headley, and one or two more other actors completely had their plots taken out of the movie. So I'm assuming this movie was probably three and a half hours on the first cut, and they just cut this thing to bits. Um, I got to say the... Um, The non lead up for Jane's powers feel a little bit for the discovery of Jane's powers feel rushed and a little bit, um, a little bit contrived. Just like Mjolnir is 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 pulling her towards her, towards Jane Foster. But the problem is that you know it's also causing the cancer to accelerate. Um, so there's this whole double-edged sword of that, you know, gives her power, but also is going to make her weaker ultimately in the end. At the very end of this, I'm kind of skipping towards the end, uh, but we're going to we're going to talk about this whole whole movie in a second, though. A daughter is introduced at the end of this movie. And talking about this at the beginning, Thor is kind of a lost figure and he's he's still kind of a bumbling idiot. And he also is a weird shadow of himself as well from all the dramatic stuff that he's had to go through from Infinity War to Endgame. Now, saying that this is a sequel to Ragnarok is true, but it's also kind of falsely not true because this character has evolved. He's supposed to have evolved mentally and um, into... A kind of a different person because he's had all these crazy um, traumatic experiences over the past few years outside of Thor Ragnarok. So it's not supposed to be the same um, crack joking fish out of water type Thor. He's supposed to be a little bit more head on his shoulders, in my opinion. Now, obviously, 
everyone's going to have their opinion to this. I know some people are loving this movie. Some people are not loving this movie. Like I said, this is just opinion. I'm trying to break it down from both angles. Um, and again, if I get anything wrong, just go into the comment section and um, politely say, hey, Elias, I know you mentioned this, but this is what actually you meant to say or what actually happened or something. Maybe I didn't get it on the first round I watched it. Um, also, for this movie, there are like four or five fake out deaths. There are way too many fake out deaths for one, the MCU and comics in general. People are always dying and coming back and being resurrected and whatever. Um, but they are absolutely having a massive problem with fake out deaths in this. There's probably almost over a handful of times that someone dies, but then comes back. Someone dies. Oh, but they're okay. Oh, someone dies. But then there's a joke that happens. It's like, all right, is it, are we supposed to take this serious or not? Um, so let's continue on with the plot for Thor Love and Thunder. Gore and his daughter, Love, struggle in a barren desert despite their prayers to their god rapu love dies the god killing necro sword weapon calls to gore leading him to rap rapu's luscious realm so after rapu nonchalantly dismisses gore's plight and proceeds to strangle him the Necrosword offers itself to Gore, who kills Rapu with it and vows to kill all gods. So essentially, we have uh, Christian Bale, you know, wandering in the desert. He has his daughter. She's like, <laughs> she's dying and she's dying from, you know, uh, the, the gods not answering the prayers, lack of water, lack of food, lack of whatever nourishment. And his daughter dies. I don't remember him saying his daughter's name at the beginning. Um, so I, cause I feel like it's a reveal for the end about the Thor of love and thunder thing. Um, so that's what happens at the beginning. Christian Bale is acting his ass off. He's like, like he's looking like a goblin at some point. Um, and then his the makeup just continuously gets more and more white and starts to look more and more ghostly and crazy. And the thing is, like, he's like, all right, my God didn't answer my uh, prayers. As a matter of fact, he was quite a dick. And now I'm going to go kill all gods. And it's a it's a cool image of seeing the the sword rise from the the sand kind of King Arthur style. But then he's like and like Judy chops uh, his God uh, Rapu right in the fucking throat, right in front of all of his other God friends and everything like that. And they're like, oh, shit, they're like they peace out. They like transition out and everything. They're gone. And. Gore is like, that's it. I'm going to go kill all the gods now. It's like, mm, is, is that going to bring everything back? Is that going to fix everything? I don't know. Um, but Rapu is kind of a dick. And, you know, you, you do get a sense of motivation for Gore, especially at the beginning. But then at the beginning, that's about all we get throughout the movie. Gore has like maybe three or four scenes, one where he actually comes in contact with Thor and, and the mighty Thor and the, and the shadows are attacking with him and stuff like that. And 
it's some crazy cgi nonsense but then later in the movie he comes back after he's kind of stolen these kids i'm going to go back and give this a little bit more detail but uh, i'm just kind of doing the gore breakdown real quick he comes back for one scene and he's telling like this he's telling scary stories to the kids he's like you ever heard the story <laughs> just doing all this crazy uh storytelling in the dark and the kids are like ah, you know just like fucking losing their shit so basically christian bale is acting his ass off in every single one of these scenes and the makeup is really uh it's perfect for him i gotta say the the makeup job for this um works because he's still al allowed to emote himself i know some people said that all that they could see was christian bale under the under the um makeup but i kind of felt like this guy gets he normally gets really lost in the sauce of his performances and i feel like this was just enough that we could have him emote enough but he still got a substantial amount of you know uh, makeup and goreness on it that he, he he doesn't have a mask on um so, yeah, and then there's the the one scene in the middle where they have like the chroma color, you know, black and white, silverish, and it's it, 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 it's cool. It reminds me a lot of the the Doctor Strange um, movie where they're sort of a spoiler for that. I would have assumed you would have seen Doctor Strange 2, Multiverse Madness, but there's a fight. Um, skip 15 seconds if you need to. There's a fight. Um, if you haven't seen it, there's a fight with Dr. Evil, Dr. Strange and regular Dr. Strange, and they're using musical notes to fight each other, almost using, you know, picking them off the page and using them as like ninja stars and stuff like that. Um, this is kind of that same level of creativity for this film. I wish that the second half of this film was as creative and flowed as well as the first half. I do feel like this is <clears throat> one of those scenarios where almost immediately at the hour mark it feels like okay now this movie is getting a little bit better now we got a movie um but that first hour is just kind of a jumbled mess of you know gotta go here action scene here gotta go do this crack a joke there and it just uh, the pacing of it does not feel like it, it it is uh is going up to par so <clears throat> excuse me gore is granted the ability to manipulate shadows and produce monsters but is cursed with impending death and corrupted by the sword's influence now as the movie goes like i said his his makeup and the craziness that he feels is happening more and more <clears throat> excuse me after gore kills several gods which I don't remember seeing, did we see that at all? Or did we get like a montage? I thought that gore kills just like people in that vicinity, but I, or those, those things that were hanging out with Rapu, but I don't remember seeing that. Thor learns of a distress signal from Sif. Thor parts ways with the guardians of the galaxy. They're basically in it for like one or two scenes. Um, Chris Pratt looking all scrub. They don't really have much to do. We get a, all of our favorite characters get to get to be shown in frame, but not 
most of them don't even say anything. Dave Batista's just there standing. <laughs> like it's like they didn't even tell Dave Batista that the camera was rolling. They were just like, we're gonna we're just gonna get this one real quick. <laughs> you know, it's like he's what? what, what? <laughs> um it's kind of interesting the more I think about it. If you're in the MCU and you have to be bald, you either have to get a cap to be that character every time, or you can just never grow hair. It's 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 very interesting. Um or like if you're Dave Batista, you just always have to be that fucking big. That's gonna be, that's kind of a lot to handle. Um, anyways, I did hear that Chris Hemsworth went on a six thousand calorie diet uh, per day to maintain the Thor God body, and I'm sure it was just like mostly vegetables and lean, um, lean meat. But that's insane. Let's see what else we got. Um, Thor parts ways with the Guardians of the Galaxy. They crack a few jokes and finds an injured Sif who warns that the Gore's next target is new Asgard. Now, this feels like a, a, a scene that should have been shown um, to the audience. I think Sif and Gore had some sort of fight, which I don't recall seeing at all. I, I only saw the movie a couple days ago, but I'm pretty sure Gore and Sif are not shown fighting at all. But uh, she loses an arm. Thor shows up and he cracks a joke about, you know, if there's some rules and regulations, if you die in battle, then you get to go to Valhalla. But if you don't die in battle, you die outside the battle, then apparently you don't go to Valhalla. So he cracks a joke about how her arm might be in Valhalla, but since she's still alive, <laughs> that, you know, she's just, uh, she's fucked. She ain't going to Valhalla because she didn't die actually in battle. <laughs> but I don't know if these uh, laws and regulations are applicable by the end of this movie, considering what happens. So, um, finds an of Gore's next target is new Asgard, um, considering old Asgard was exploded at the end of uh, Ragnar Thor Ragnarok. And then I think Korg cracked a joke about it. I don't remember what. Straight up Alderaan on that ass. Meanwhile, Dr. Jane Foster, Thor's ex-girlfriend, has been diagnosed with stage four terminal cancer. Um, with medical treatment providing, pro, sorry, with medical treatment proving ineffective, she travels to New Asgard, hoping that Thor's fractured hammer, Molnir, might heal her. So Dr. Jane Foster, it's, it's kind of like having to do a whole nother uh, storyline about a character we haven't seen in several years. And we only get like one glimpse of her. I think it was an in infinity war um, or it might've been an end game. I think, yeah, it actually might've been end game. So everyone that has followed the MCU, even a little bit more than just as a casual fan, you would have known Jane Foster, Natalie Portman's character is coming back to play the mighty Thor. I knew it because I, I listened to movie news and I've just heard all that. And I've seen the photos of her arms. She's like straight jacked. I was, uh, I was pretty impressed with uh, the transformation. And like I said, she's always, she's, uh, she's stern on the bottom, but glowing on the top. And that's, that's how I like my women. Yeah, no, but um, I, I've just got to say that I was pretty impressed with her uh, commitment to this role, considering I kind of feel they yada yada the whole 
transformation of Jane. I would have rather liked to have seen the straight up, oh my goodness, the the transformation of her muscles going. Boo, boo, boo. I don't know if they didn't want to show some sort of CGI transformation of her turning into the mighty Thor or if they just uh, cut the scenes of her like testing out her powers, but we just get to her essentially as if she knows how to use the powers, she knows how to use Molnir and stuff like that. It's like, zoom, zoom, and, um, you know, she just knows how to be mighty Thor. I felt like that was a whole movie in itself that we just didn't get to see or didn't even experience even through a few scenes. If we had gotten five minutes of just Jane, like, going through a montage of like not feeling well or you know turning into the mighty thor it, it, it i think that would have served the backstory a little bit better because there's a lot that this movie is having to do with regards of the the gore backstory the mighty thor backstory but then we got to have the the uh the thor backstory as well um and on top of that, Thor uh, is, you know, we got to have the, the self-actualization of what he wants to do with his life now that the majority of his big superhero days are going to go over. And it's, are they over? Like, he's still sort of Thor, but he's sort of, he's sort of not. Because at the beginning, he's like fighting, you know, fighting with the Guardians of the Galaxy. So he's, his superhero days aren't exactly over, but he's not fighting the Thanoses of the world, I guess. Um, there was a couple times in this movie, I did feel the kind of, uh, not the, it felt a little bit like the mighty, the mighty was Monty Python, like it was joking to, to the point where it was a parody and so there was a couple of times where, you know, at the beginning, I'm kind of jumbling all over the place when when the blue guys come up and they talk to Thor about how they need help. And Thor's like, don't worry, I got this and destroys everything and their city. He's like, well, job done. You know, I felt like that was a little bit. Um, that's the old Thor and they're writing they're writing this Thor a little bit like he's still the old Thor, but he hasn't gone through all of the. Uh, the, the dramatic stuff of like Infinity War and um, Endgame a little bit. He feels a little bit regressed emotionally. Um, so let's continue on. And of course, the terminal cancer of it all. I know some people are going talking about Jane Foster. I know some people are going to be like, I didn't like that. I wasn't crazy about that. Um, my, my father ha did have terminal cancer in 2020 and having this as a storyline here doesn't exactly bother me but if you want my take on it then i would say show a little bit more of the struggle because terminal cancer is not just like uh the person had it's different for everybody obviously but the one that i had to experience through uh my father um i didn't have it my father had it but it, there's a struggle there was a long deep dramatic struggle while this is happening and i don't feel that hemsworth's character thor nor jane is is on that plane of like i want to be there while she's dying i know that it's the mcu you want to have fun you don't want to be showing a cancer storyline for 20 minutes but 
the way that she kind of goes out at the end, that's not really what a cancer storyline, in my opinion, is. It, the, the cancer storyline is having to kind of be there for the slow descent, depending on how how bad it is. Um, not just kind of one last hoorah and it's done. You know, one last hoorah would be probably more of a um, a beneficial death or more positive death. You know, the way that she goes out is like, eh, it's not that bad. You know, she didn't, you know, shrivel up into kind of like a golem, you know, because that's essentially what happens. Your body just shuts down. Everything just shuts down. She, I didn't want the most dramatic thing to happen to her, but I just want a little bit more of like terminal cancer is a little bit more like that. There's a lot of things that are coming up with it. Maybe not, maybe they shouldn't have used stage four terminal cancer. Maybe they should have used um, some other, uh, some other disease that you might die a little bit more quicker from. I know my, my pops uh, had about 70 days from when he was, um, diagnosed, but he didn't do any of the medical treatments and stuff like that. So it's different for everybody. Anyways, let's get back to the movie, but just saying with the terminal cancer of it all, um, it doesn't really feel like she's dying of terminal cancer. It just feels like insert disease here kind of thing. Um, so with the medical treatment proving ineffective, she travels to new Asgard, hoping that Thor's fractured hammer, Molnir, might help heal her. And apparently the guy that's like showing this um, Molnir is apparently the tour guide has been featured in other Marvel stuff. Um, and it's kind of cool how they're using Molnir in its uh, last known position as like a tour guide place or, or they're touring it or using it kind of commercially because the Avengers are now a commercial entity in the MCU. And uh, the television shows like Miss Marvel have shown us, you know, they, they, they have like Avengers Con and stuff like that. They have um, well-known, they, they're essentially, essentially uh, celebrities on Earth 616. So, so yeah. Due to an enchantment, Thor unknowingly placed on eight years earlier to protect Foster, Molnir forges and bonds itself to her. Thor arrives in New Asgard just as Gore attacks. Gore's attack begins. Thor is surprised to find Foster wielding Molnir, but nevertheless teams up with her, Valkyrie Korg, to fight Gore. The group thwarts Gore, but he escapes kidnapping several Asgardian children and imprisoning them in the Shadow Realm, which his ultimate plan felt a little bit weird. Uh, I was like, I guess because he knows that the gods are going to come after him so he can, uh, so he can get, um, you know, so he can get a Stormbreaker to go into the, the next realm or whatever. But it, I, I don't, I might need to go back and confirm whenever Gore finds out that Stormbreaker can do this. I don't remember him finding this out, but everyone says that that's what it is. Stormbreaker can uh, summon the Bitfrost. To, he can enter the realm of eternity or something like that. Um, he's, you know, the key is with Thor, essentially. So, um, and so, yeah, everybody teams up. Everyone's fighting. Everyone's uh, trying to save the kids. 
but uh like i said it's 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 played for more comedic beats and we're also in thor's perspective when we are learning about um jane foster becoming the mighty thor because you know he's he's trying to get it and you know she's like oh that's mine and you know it's like ha, i'm a thor now blah 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 you know it's like wait is that possible you know he's just like okay and we did have uh, a montage earlier with Korg kind of explaining how, you know, this might have happened. And they had this cute little uh, double date kind of thing. And, you know, he's like protect over her and this little icon comes up on Molnir, And then, you know, they um, essentially they kind of retcon a little bit and, and, and squish in some of the dating that Thor and Jane Foster have been doing. Um, in between, I guess, Thor 1 and Thor 2, or Thor Ragnarok, whatever. Um, and then kind of showed how the deterioration of their um, uh, dating life went. And now they're right here kind of talking about, you know, they're kind of acting like they might bring it back. You know, they might um, start connecting again. Problem for me was um, it was really fast. It like there's not enough time for Thor and the mighty Thor or or Thor and Jane Foster to kind of they need their own 20 minutes to themselves to kind of run off, fall in love and find what they they did. They loved about each other again for us to really feel for me to really feel a loss of Jane Foster at the end, especially for what they do at the very end of this. Um, so yeah, I, my whole thing is just give them more time together to kind of reconnect. I, I personally don't think Chris Hemsworth and Natalie Portman, unfortunately, as attractive as the two are, I don't think they have very good chemistry with each other. I kind of feel like they play more or less like buddy, buddy, or they play more or less like, um, Honestly, I feel like they play better brother and sister than they do as, um, uh, as you know, a, an item or a couple. Something, I, I don't know what it is, but it feels like Chris Hemsworth's level of dumb as, as, as he plays Thor. Like, he's not dumb, but the, the, the dumb that Thor is does not feel like the kind of character that natalie portman's character would ever be attracted to um from from that angle now the dude's a fucking specimen i'm not gonna you know deny that from a physical standpoint but i feel like she would always go for like some sort of scientist or something like that i don't know why i always picture her with someone a little bit less um uh I don't see her with like jocks, I guess. Is that, does that make sense? And Thor is like the ultimate jock. I see, honestly, I kind of see Natalie Port Jane Foster more with like um, Mark Ruffalo's The Hulk's character. Um, not actually The Hulk, but uh, the, the Mark, what is The Hulk's character? What, whatever The Hulk's character is in real life. Or, whatever he is when he's not the Hulk. Um, but uh, Banner, yeah, I feel like 
her and Banner would probably be a little bit better than I think the Hulk, but that's than Thor, but that's just me. Um, let me see what else. Da, 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 da. So yeah, Korg, sorry, Gore uh, kidnaps several Asgardian children and imprisons them in the Shadow Realm, and he's like, I'm out. Um, and tells them scary stories for like the rest of the of the, of the film. Um, the group travels to Omnipotence City, a realm that is home to many gods, to warn them and ask for their help, which feels like a complete diversion, honestly, from what we really need to do. The leader of the gods, Zeus, played by Russell Crowe, fears gore and is unwilling to help thinking they can remain safe and hidden from gore in the city, which I don't know why Zeus would be feared, uh, fearing this guy at all, just because he has that, uh, that sword. And he says, so I just feel like the gore is not that strong in comparison, but that's just me. Zeus orders the groups uh, capture to prevent them from exposing the city's location to gore and in ensuing and in the ensuing fight, um, Chris Hemsworth is stripped naked and has like chained up his like ass out, um, buns out, and um, he is kind of cracking jokes. What's it, Zeus? Cracking jokes, not taking anything seriously, and it is a big uh, what feels like Monty Python type scene. And, you know, the way that he's kind of curtsying as Russell Crowe's curtsying as he's coming down the stairs. And he is just really uh, soaking up this uh, character. But um, so, yeah, Zeus orders the group to capture the prevents from uh, to prevent them from exposing the city's location to Gore. And in the ensuing fight, Korg's body is destroyed though his face remains alive. Like I, immediately I was like, Jesus, did we just blow up Korg? I was like, uh, and then we turned around and his fucking face is still there. And it's like, oh geez, well, he's fucking fine. He's fine. Now, um, and that's the second time they try to kill Korg or they, they, they shoot something at Korg and he falls over of, of some sort. Um, first time happening in the storm, in the storm, in the, uh, the ship. Uh, so yeah, Thor impales Zeus with his own thunderbolt, which Valkyrie steals before they escape. That was a pretty cool scene. You know, he just grabs it and throws it back at him. And I was like, wait, are all of Thor's, um, gods around him and that little character in the back, the blob in the back, are they all going to start like fighting Thor and his friends and stuff like that? Is, is it going to be everyone against Thor? Um, that's not exactly what happened. And I'm just going to go ahead and talk about the mid credit scene real quick is um, we find out Zeus is um, still alive after this, after falling, like, I don't know what it looked like 50 stories down to splat and <laughs> straight onto the ground. So um, when watching this majority of the rest of this movie, you're thinking, Jesus, did he just kill Zeus? Um, even though Zeus was kind of a dick. So, uh, let's see. And they stole his like lightning bolt, which it feels like we just stopped by Omnipotent City to just get this light bulb for Valkyrie. Anyways, as the journey continues, 
Thor and F- Foster rekindle their relation, romantic relationship, and Foster reveals her illness. Um, and they really just can't really do much about it. It's just like she's kind of talking about it. It's a good scene. Um, oh, yeah, the screaming goats bust in to come save them when they're at the omnipotent city. And one of the problems with this movie is got to be it's not just the screaming goats. They were funny the first time. The fifth time, I I don't know what you want me to do. It's just like they're screaming still. Just shut them the fuck up. Like the first time we see it. So this movie has a problem with run-on gags versus run-on jokes. Run-on jokes are Chris Hemsworth Stormbreaker and Molnir having some sort of weird um, having some sort of weird romantic chemi- chemistry and relationship which by the way I do feel like Stormbreaker and, and Thor have a stronger love connection than Thor and um, Jane Foster because <laughs> every time he's like looking at Molnir, he's kind of like looking at Molnir like like she got a fat ass or something like that. And he's like, mm. and then the Stormbreaker comes up like from the back, and he's like, oh shit, oh uh, I wasn't looking at uh, Molnir's ass or shaft or whatever. And I was like, oh shit, sorry, <laughs> you know, like Stormbreaker gonna chop that dick off. He ain't careful, fucking Thor. <laughs> um. But anyways, he's, oh my goodness. So uh, anyways, I, the, the problem is run on jokes versus run on gags. Run on jokes work with like Molnir and Stormbreaker because they are evolving the plot and it's not just the same thing happening multiple times. A run on gag for me is something like, the goats walking on screen and just yeah you know just screaming the screaming goats just like every time they go on screen and it's not really progressing anything of the storyline it's not progressing the joke so thus it's a gag kind of like uh if a character in a on screen is farting normally Normally, farting is a gag. It's not progressing into another joke. It's not, you know, they fart in the first act, they fart in the second act, they fart in the third act. That's what it feels like this this screaming goat is. They scream in the first act, they scream in the second act, they scream in the third act. It's the same joke. And Waititi is beating that joke over the head. And so that kind of is how I look at these, the different types of comedy in this movie. Is it a run on joke? Is it a run on gag? And how funny did you find it? And I think that that's kind of like, you know, some people wane as the joke goes. Sometimes when people repeat the same gag, it becomes funnier when sometimes, you know, that kind of thing. I I think you get my idea of the difference, but this movie is bogged down with run on gags. So um, as their journey continues, Thor and Foster continue their romantic relationship and Foster reveals her illness. Um, We also get like this side uh, 
the side conversation with Korg talking about how he can't he he hopes to one day have a gay rock romantic relationship uh, by a volcano or something like that and they hope to have rock babies <laughs> i was like what are you talking about so apparently uh korg is is a gay rock or something i don't know i, I guess that's yay one for yay for representation <laughs> rock representation gay rock representation <laughs> oh goodness speaking of gay rock i think that that's what uh the uh action figure is going to be called with Chris Hemsworth's Thor's character doing a the the Van Damme split at the beginning of this gay the gay rock uh attire <laughs> and I don't mean that bad I'm just saying he's a little bit a little bit fruity in it um actually I think it was uh it's based off another movie uh Kurt uh uh, th- that attire is based off of, uh, I think, Escape from New York or something like that. I don't know. Anyways, the group arrives at the Shadow Realm but are unable to find the children. Foster deduces that the kidnappings were a trap for Gore to take Thor's axe, Stormbreaker, in order to summon the Bit Frost, sorry, the Biff Frost, and enter the realm of eternity which I was like, that's a whole fuck ton of information. I don't remember how Gore found that out, but okay. Who who can grant his wish to destroy all gods? Which, that's a dumbass wish. And, and like, why wouldn't you be wish to become stronger than the other gods so you can do what you want or whatever? I don't know. And uh, it's, it's whoever gets to eternity first, apparently, because at the very end, we know what happens. Everyone makes it. Gore overpowers the group, severely injuring Valkyrie. And I believe this is, I think that is the fight where they have uh, the black and white chrome uh, filters on. And it's, it looks really cool. Um, with the fighting from the cinematography, that I think that all works. The group retreats back to Earth, though Gore manages to steal Stormbreaker. Um, which I completely saw coming. A little bit predictable on this end. Draining her strength, sorry, drained of her strength each time she uses Molnir, Foster is warned that it once, that using it once will more than likely kill her. Thor persuades Foster to let him fight Gore alone while she recuperates. Thor finds the kidnapped children at Eternity's altar and using Zeus's thunderbolt. Okay, so I've got to say, I found it extremely weird that Thor could just, like, force ghost himself in front of the kids in his new Thor getup, by the way. I, 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 I was not crazy about the new Thor uh, costume. I, I did feel like it looked a little bit too... Uh, uh, first Avengery for me, a little bit too cartoony, but that's just me. Second of all, didn't understand how he was able to force Ghost in front of the kids. I don't know what that really served. I felt like most of it wasn't serving anything except for saying, hey, we're coming to get you kind of thing, which in my opinion, they probably knew that anyway, or the viewer doesn't really care. 
if I watch this again, I'm gonna be looking for the the reason and why he's able to do that. Thor's powers sometimes are just like whatever they need to be when they need to be, um, in my opinion, or at least his world of powers. It's kind of you know godlike, so you can just do what you need to do. Um, so yeah. Drained of her strength. Thor finds the kidnapped children at Eternity's altar and using Zeus's thunderbolt, imbues them with the power to fight Gore's monsters while he battles Gore. He's like, and I was, we've seen this before in you know older movies. I. I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but you know, when the, the main character gives the power to the people and then the people overcome um, the big bad using the powers that they may now have. Um, it kind of feels like a Spielberg movie a little bit, the more I think about it, but um, yeah, I, I've seen it maybe a little bit of He-Man ish. Um, yeah. I don't know. But anyways, it's kind of a cool action scene. The kids all get their special powers. Their light eyes are glowing and blasting. They got the bunnies like, like using their toys as weapons and shit like that. And I was like, Jesus, I was like, this is kind of cool, but it does last a little bit long. And uh, sometimes this CGI for better or for worse, sometimes is stretched. Um, so when Foster senses that Gore is about to kill Thor, she joins the battle with Molnir to save him, which we saw this deus ex Molnir. I mean, she's like laying in bed, like just taking a nap. And then Molnir's like me. And she's like, oh, do we got to go? Oh, oh, well, shit. You know, like the, the characterization of Molnir and Stormbreaker just kind of levitating was pretty impressive that, uh, you know, these things that have no expression can show so much expression just by kind of how much they're moving or not moving, um, you know, or turning sideways or whatnot. It's, you know, an inanimate object showing that much emotion is kind of like, whoa, <laughs> um, okay. Um, that's, that's kind of crazy. So we knew Molnir and um, Foster were going to show up just based off of how things go. Um, she joins the battle with Molnir to save him. And she still looks amazing. My God. Um, they destroy the Necros world, um, freeing Gore from its influence. But the three are brought into Eternity's realm. With Gore poised to make his wish, Thor implores Gore to revive his daughter instead of destroying the gods, which why wasn't that his idea anyway? Um, Thor then leaves Gore to <laughs> make his decision and attends to Foster, who succumbs to her illness. Moved by their display, Gore wishes for eternity to revive love, which it grants. As Gore dies from the curse, he requests Thor to take care for love. Korg's body is restored and he starts a family while fostering, sorry, while Foster's sacrifice is honored in New Asgard. Uh, 
where Valkyrie and Sif begin training the children, which I hope nothing bad happens to the Valkyrie or to the to the Asgardian kids. Thor adopts Love, who joins him in his heroics with the former wielding Molnir and the latter wielding Stormbreaker. And in the mid credit scene, a recuperating Zeus sends his son, Hercules, played by Roy from, uh, what's his place? Uh, what is uh, Hercules? Brett Goldstein um, from Ted, Ted Lasso fame. Um, but yeah, I was... Uh, I was pretty excited to see uh, Brett Goldstein as uh, as Hercules. He's he fits the part pretty well. Um, and in the post credit scene, Foster arrives at the gates of Valhalla, where she is welcomed by Hemdall, the Idris Elba character. And that, my friends, is Thor: Love and Thunder. And love better get used to those flap cakes or whatever they call them at the end um because she's going to be having a lot of them a couple things we want to talk about right off the top before we wrap up this podcast um like i said this was um about a six out of ten mostly just because of the dramatic elements clashing with the comedic elements and them failing to have uh uh kind of meeting in the middle with a nice blend there feels like a much longer cut of this film out there somewhere and i would probably entertain a a two-hour 30-minute cut of this if it makes this movie make sense a little bit more also um cgi some hit some not on hit the music all guns and roses welcome to the jungle if i hear welcome to the jungle like over half of these films or or thunderstruck what is that acdc's and all that i felt like over half of these songs felt very much in the same realm or the same vein and it didn't feel like we were doing 80s it felt like we were doing rock 80s and specific pop rock 80s you know the, the the stuff that everyone knows that everyone hears that if you're in the states that we hear it almost every football game um, so i just uh wasn't crazy about the music cues in comparison to like how ragnarok did it i felt like ragnarok really the the scene called for having this music played it wasn't just like a click play and here we go um uh yeah guardians of the galaxy does a little bit better um let me see if there's anything else that we need to like i said the fake out deaths the lack of uh, uh the lack of being able to hold down an actual death of anybody in this feels like maybe they should have killed korg bring a new Korg in. Maybe they should have killed Valkyrie. Maybe they should have, they should have done, had some sort of loss. Cause at the end, having Foster arrive at the gates of Valhalla is like, is she going to come back now? Why are we seeing this? Like I don't, and, and it kind of causes a continuity um, problem with, well, does that mean the rest of the Avengers are 
that have died in battle are they in valhalla do do only thor characters do only thors or gods only go to valhalla so is there like different levels of this kind of valhalla heaven kind of thing you know i have it creates a lot of questions for me personally but that's just uh how my brain works um but yeah, let me know what you thought about Thor Love and Thunder. I think, uh, oh yeah, and Love, by the way, is played by Chris Hemsworth's uh, real life daughter who I don't know. Oh, and Jeff Goldblum uh, uh, was, in, was in the cut scenes as well. But anyways, uh, Love is um, played by India, I believe is her name. Um, yeah, a lot of kids from the producers and... Um, and a lot of parents and adults sorry parents and kids are in this film from i think bale um oh let me see kieran l dyer portrays axel himdall's son Hemsworth's daughter, India, portrays Love, Gore's daughter, Hemsworth's wife, Elsa Patsky, cameos as the wolf woman who's one of Thor's past lovers, and Bale and Portman and Waititi's children play portray news, new Asgard children. Actress and singer India, India Evans appears as Zezuit. Um, uh, singer Jenny Morris appears as new Asgard city uh, citizen. And of course we talked about Brett Goldstein, but yeah, a lot of, yeah. Goldblum, Dinklage, Headley, sorry, Heedy. Um, all of their, all of them were cut from the final film. I'd like to see some with them in it just to see what they brought. But anyways, thank you for listening and watching. Look at all podcasts, Thor, love and thunder. Let me know what you thought about the review. Let me know what you thought about the movie. And take it easy, Odin son. Not me. What? Just listening.